Alrighty, good news everyone. I voted today. So, uh, what the fuck happens next? We're going to talk about it today on Ask Briar. I am Briar Harvey and we're going to be talking about finding joy when it's hard. Because no matter who wins, somebody's going to be unhappy. A lot of someones are going to be unhappy. And we don't have any control over the outcome, right? We are in this position now where we're not... We live in a country where election results are no longer guaranteed to be reliably believed. We live in a country where we are boarding up windows and getting ready for riots and rightfully so, yeah? It's going to be a long night. And so... Tonight, I want to talk about learned helplessness, right? So, I'm such a good time. Y'all know I'm a good time. I picked this little tidbit up from Mark Manson's weekly newsletter, which I believe is called Mindfuck Monday, which, you know, right up my alley, really. And he was talking about learned helplessness. So this was a study done in the 1960s by a guy named Martin Seligman. And his big claim to fame here is having to do with dogs and electroshock, right? So when we train them, we can shock them into behaving better or out of bad behavior if they receive a shock and don't want to do that anymore, don't want to receive the shock anymore, so they don't fucking do that bad behavior anymore. This is early days of behavioral therapy. What Martin was testing was learned helplessness. So his theory, he wanted to see what would happen if he just shocked the dogs at random intervals. And what happened was the dogs stopped responding to the shocks at all. It became widely known in psychological communities as the explanation for why say, domestic violence victims do not leave their partners. There's a level of unpredictability. There is a lot of things about mental health and chronic illness. And when we don't have control, there's this sense of helplessness that becomes overwhelming. And we can no longer protect ourselves from it, right? So we have a tendency then to stay in long-term abusive situations. 
learned helplessness has been used to explain a lot of phenomenon over the years. And it's really an important theory about why people behave the way that they do. Except that it's probably not right. So in 2016, Martin Seligman went back and started looking at all of the decades of data that had been collected about this theory since he first posited it. And I have to say, I personally, I love this, that we are actually having this conversation now about we did some research, we, we made a theory, and now we're going to revisit it and see if it still holds up to the test of time. The thing about science so frequently that we do not seem to grasp is that it's all theory. Very little about science is ever going to be fact. It's never going to be proven. And we... <laughs> If I have learned anything from COVID, it is that in the face of unpredictable evidence, we really have a lot of backlash against how we respond to a lack of evidence. We blame scientists for not doing their job right. We blame doctors for not knowing enough. But the fact of the matter is, is that we simply don't know. We have to do the research. We have to study and investigate the scientific method. Perhaps you learned that in school. And I think that I have a real advantage. My background is, I, I don't have a degree. I got a couple of credits away from a bachelor's in anthropology and realized that I couldn't do a fucking thing with a bachelor's in anthropology. And I was going to need at the very least a master's to do something in anthropology. So I kind of just said, fuck it, whatever, I'm done. But in anthropology, there is foundationally, like day one, one of the things that we talk about is that it's all a theory. We simply cannot know. We're just making best guesses. And that's the best it ever gets because there'll never be enough evidence to definitively say about a time, a place, or a people that we know what they were thinking or doing or feeling. We just can't know. And because of that background, I really feel like I have this sense about science as something with flexibility. We have a real ability to look at science as something that is always growing and changing, and we should lean into that. It's about asking the questions. As always, I am here for asking the questions. This is the most important thing to me. So, in, in 2016, Martin Seligman went back. And what he discovered was that we were wrong. We had it backwards. In fact, learned helplessness is not a thing. We are born helpless. 
humans in particular are born fairly early in our developmental and gestational age. That is given the nature of our biology and pelvis and relative to a lot of other mammals, especially mammals with bigger brains, we aren't cooked for very long. And so our infancy, we call that the fourth trimester, the three months after birth is still relatively a period that is in the infant is entirely dependent on the mother because they have not finished gestating. And even after that, they are helpless for a long period of time. So the reality is we start out helpless. We are born helpless. But that's great fucking news because what that means is we can learn hopefulness. We have a tendency to fail our children in multiple ways and this is this is true on many levels. But if we're looking at learned helplessness versus hopefulness. What we have to explore is how the relationship between abused children is in many ways not that dissimilar from children who are overly parented. Because in both cases, they're not learning hopefulness. They're not learning the techniques that they need to survive long term. If what we're looking at long term is the ability to grow, to thrive, to become better than who we are, we have to be given those skills. And we have to be given those skills early. And it starts at a very young age. My children now are 19, 9, and 3. So I have this whole spectrum. And I have watched my oldest develop into this adult type creature, right? And now she is voting and doing all of these adult things. And it's beautiful to be a part of. And along the way, I've had to work very hard to give her the specific skills that she needs to be an adult. So many of these things aren't really taught to us. And I know that because I wasn't fucking taught and trying to teach my child has been really an adventure. My middle son now, he's nine and there are differences in what we have to, how we have to educate boys and girls. The sooner we lean into that, the better whether we're talking biology or gender choice is irrelevant because what we know is that there are differences in how we process this information. So when I'm looking at how I am teaching my son to become an adult, there are different things that I'm, what I was teaching my daughter. And there is 
not a whole lot of research or evidence-based material on how to teach children hopefulness. Um, Angela Duckworth, who wrote the book Grit, that's a good place to start. But at the end of the day, so much of what you're doing with your children when you are attempting to teach how to be hopeful, how to lean into things, really the best way for them to learn is by example. So it's time to talk about cultivating joy. And I'm going to be spending most of the show on this because this is a place where people struggle. So in my paid gigs, I plan for people. I take a look at their business funnels. I figure out where they're getting people from, how they're coming into the sales funnel, what products we're selling, how we're building relationships. And then I figure out the shortest way from prospect to purchase for people, especially when they have multiple products. I plan. I create timelines and stepping stones of things that you can do to make progress in your business. When COVID hit, plans went out the window. And I have come to understand that we've really relied on being able to pivot being able to change at a moment's notice, really being able to adapt this year, which is fantastic for all of you. And I am so thrilled for my friends and coworkers who've really managed to prosper in this season, because for a great many of you, this has just been an unprecedented time of growth. And I'm so proud of you. For me, it's been a time of exploring what works and what doesn't, exploring what I do and how it impacts my people. So when I am defining the work that I do, it is often difficult. You know, I map funnels and that's great for someone who is heavily immersed in the business world, less so for people who don't live online and even less so for people who aren't actively internet heavy at all. When people ask me what I do, I frequently ask, are you an internet person? If the answer is no, then I'm a writer. <laughs> I'm a writer and a podcaster. If you know more, then you get a little bit more. But there are levels because it's difficult to explain how what I do translates, right? So I have spent the past six months really diving deep. And... I went to former customers. I went to current customers. I spent a huge amount of time talking 
about the things that I am getting to do with them that we have done in the past and how that's impacted their businesses. Because I wanted to be able to really say, this is what I do and this is how it changes things. This is what having a plan means. And in all of these conversations, what I have really come to understand is that more than anything else, the thing that I am asking, the thing that I am doing is finding joy, which is not at all what I expected. It's never what I expect. That's the joyful part of it. Because when I ask my people, what makes you happy? What lights you up? What do you want to do with your free time, with your business time that allows you to feel fulfilled and sustained? How do you build those things into your life every single day so that you're happy to get up in the morning? Because look, no matter what happens tonight, no matter who wins, we are clearly not the same country we were 20 years ago. And that's not me having rose-colored glasses about this process. We have become so fundamentally polarized that it doesn't matter who we are or what we believe, only that we are doing the right thing according to whichever side we are on, which is painfully uncomfortable for the close to 60% of Americans who don't have a side at all. And at the end of the day, we are left with this absolute uncertainty about what's going to happen which we have no control over, literally no control over. So what does it look like then to create and find and cultivate joy on a regular and sustainable basis? I am always reluctant to talk about what it is for me personally, because what works for me is not going to work for you even if there are similarities, what I have found that lights me up is mine and mine alone. And that is the way that it is supposed to be. But when you don't know, how do you go about finding it? So I am compiling a list. It's going out daily, six days a week. You can find more information and get on my mailing list at briarharvey.com slash subscribe. That is going to get you on my main list and I will be sending out regular updates. Otherwise, I'm posting these on social. The beautiful thing about this is that I want it to be something quick and easy for you to grab, right? So let's go woo a little bit. If you are a fan of human design, you know that more than half of us are have a sacral authority, right? It's a it's an emotional response. 
we are the generators of the world. We have the ability to know within ourselves whether something is a hell yes or a hell no. And there is some, there's some relief in that, right? When I find something that works for me, it is very easy for me to sink my teeth into that and build it into my life in ways that are meaningful and sustainable. But even if that's not how you process, it's easy to look at what works for other people and feel your feelings about it, right? So what we're talking about then frequently becomes what is this little piece, whether it's a tradition, whether it's a daily ritual, whether it's a routine, and I am talking all over the spectrum here, from meditation to harder drugs. Here, have a drink on me. No matter what we're talking about, what we're need to find are all of these things in our lives that bring us clear and sustainable joy. So I want to talk about figuring out what works for you and how you build those things in. When my son died six years ago and I was recovering from terrible anemia and dealing with this horrible crushing grief. I figured that hacking my daily routine was going to be the thing that brought me out of it. I called it grieving deliberately. And there was some truth to that. Like I really worked hard at figuring out what worked for me and what didn't. But it also became oh, like a life hacking, data sucking mission, right? Even Tim Ferriss has recently come out and said that his obsession with the metrics and hacking his life and hacking his day is a big part of the noise that we are experiencing in productivity and self-help spaces because it's all about taking it that much better, right? Being that much more productive with our lives, that much more efficient. But productivity and efficiency aren't fucking joyful. They're not the same damn thing. And no matter what you believe about an afterlife, this is the life you have right now. What are you living it for if you are not living it for joy, for happiness, to do the things that light you up? So when we look at those things, how do we integrate them in, in ways that are meaningful? 
the thing that I have been playing with the most here recently is habit stacking with a twist. So especially if you have chronic health or mental health or physical handicaps, so often our days are unpredictable. We have no ability to know when we wake up what the day is going to bring. My day was planned, obviously, for a vote, but it was certainly derailed by a three-year-old temper tantrum about not leaving after I put on his shoes. My mistake. I'll know better for next time. Shoes don't go on until the second we are ready to go out the door. It's fine. It's fine. But when we have to shift things, it becomes very difficult to do things in a predictable, meaningful way over time. So let's talk about then what we have to do, what would be nice to do, and then what brings us joy. Okay, and this is how it works. I have to get dressed every day because of my arthritis because of the weather, those getting dressed can be wildly variable. I frequently can't do buttons in the winter. Zippers are hard. Sometimes it just doesn't happen the way that I want it to happen. But getting dressed is the thing that has to happen. So I get dressed in the morning. What I would like to do is potentially put on a little bit of makeup that rarely if ever happens for me but I, it, it's it's the would like to do so the getting dressed is the have to do the makeup is the would like to do if i'm up for it i do it if i'm not i skip it but either way i've done the thing that i have to do i can potentially do the thing that i would like to do and finally i am left with that topmost stack the you know the best tasting cake on the wedding cake or the habit cake it's the thing that brings you joy in my example here of getting dressed if getting dressed is the thing that i have to do and makeup is the thing that i would like to do maybe the thing that brings me joy is just lipstick for the day maybe it's jewelry i don't think it really matters because it's about what brings you joy figure out what those habit stacks look like have to want to joyful build them up in all of the things that you have to do and this happens over time right you can figure out your habit stacks in a way that allows you to chain them together so after i've gotten dressed then i make the bed and that stack looks like i pull up the comforters if because I have to, because I potentially am working from my bed a good percentage of the time. I would like to actually remove all of the pillows, but sometimes that doesn't happen because my back can't take it. Finally, what brings me joy is putting my bear right on top of the stacked pillows so that he can sit with me and work. Yeah, sometimes I'm a child. I don't know what to tell you. 
those are the things that bring me joy. They're the things that I love. You have to find what brings you joy, what's ultimately going to allow you to build your day around these touch points that light you up. Find them, plan them, work them in, in as many ways as you can. And if you do that, it doesn't matter what happens with this fucking shit show of political affairs. You get to decide what your life looks like in a meaningful way on a daily basis. We can't change what happens tonight, tomorrow with this election. We, we can't change who wins. We can't change what's coming. We can only deal with the lives that we are given to live right now. We can make small, meaningful changes and take those small steps that allow us to grow and thrive and prosper regardless of the circumstances that we are in. No matter what those things are for you, you have the ability to find them. I promise you. It's work, but you can do it. And that's what I have for you all today. Thank you so much for listening. A listener told me today that she was marathoning all of my old episodes and it filled me with such, I can't even tell you, glee. I'm just so thankful for all of you who make me a part of your life. If this has been beneficial to you in any way, you can donate to me on Ko-fi. That's ko-fi.com slash briar. If you would like to find out more about the daily rituals as I am introducing them as we go on six days a week, that's briarharvey.com slash subscribe. Thank you so much for being here, y'all. Have a great night. Bye-bye.